Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hey, Eric. Hey, Ward. Did you know that we're powered by... Beak! Do you notice I close my eyes when I do it? Uh, yeah. Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
I think what we've also talked about is we're going to figure out how we do a podcast remotely between Ward and I from the camp so that I can report on what is actually happening there, some behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm going to try to talk to as many people there as I can and bring some of the camp to our podcast. There's a decent chance I get kicked out of the camp within the first few hours, <laughs> but we'll just see how that goes. So uh, stay tuned for that, and let's get to it. Hysterics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have a very, very, very special guest who is now uh, a local here with us, Eric, in Los Angeles. Would you like to set him up for our audience? Yes. While he is a local here in Los Angeles, his basketball life started and really took off in the heartland. In Indiana, in Jasper, where he starred for his high school basketball team, he is, I would say, the definition of an Indiana kid. This gentleman is the perfect epitome of what you want to see in a college basketball player in someone who got better year in and year out. He started his career shooting 31.6% from the three-point line, ended it finishing shooting right around 40%. From a two-point percentage perspective, he started his career shooting 36.9%, ended his career shooting 51.9%. This is a gentleman that when he graduated, set the record all time for number of assists, 545 career assists. We won't get into the fact that it was broken by Yogi years later, but he was number one when he left Indiana. That's all he could do. He set the record. He also is tied for the record for most assists in one game with 15, 15 assists in one game. He holds the number two slot in number of steals in one game with eight, eight steals in one game. And beyond his playing career, he has been a Division I assistant coach for the last 17 years. And please, please, Hoosier Nation, welcome the stud, Michael Lewis. That, that was pretty good. Did my, my wife write that stuff for you? <laughs> no, I think she would have given us some other stuff if she wrote it. <laughs> she would have given us some other stuff. So I, I got to say, before we start, I don't know what to call you. Because I want to call you Mike or Michael because the truth is we were peers at Indiana. I was a year ahead of you. Ward was exactly your years. But you and I, and we'll get into this, shared a class my senior year. We'll get into that later. You probably don't remember it, but we did share a class. So what should we call you? Mike, Michael, Coach, what do you want? Sir? Uh, Michael's fine with me. I'm not... Uh... It's not that big a deal to me. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I wanted to be respectful because you have earned the coach title. So before we get into your Indiana career. Welcome to Los Angeles. Yes. W what are your first impressions of our fair city? Uh, I've, I've really, I, I tell you, I've been, I've been out here. Um, I think my first day here in UCLA was like May 22nd, 23rd, something like that. Um, my, my family just got out here. Matter of fact, we, uh, uh, today, uh, this Thursday, um, is uh, we've been in our house for for two weeks. Um, wow. Were you so, in Westwood? You know, where Where are you at? No, I'm living in Calabasas. Oh, um, beautiful! I've got, I've, I've got I've got two young daughters um, that'll be uh, in in third grade and sixth grade. So you know the school systems were very important uh, to my wife, and and uh, it's a little quieter up in Calabasas. It's a little slower paced in Calabasas, and I think. Um, I think we're really going to enjoy living there. So, um, you know, so it's 
you know, I'm still unpacking boxes. We're still, still get organized, still throwing stuff away. But, um, you know, it's I, I've really enjoyed my time here in L.A. so far. As you guys know, like, I mean, the weather, you can't beat the weather. Um, you know, you trade that off with the with the time or uh, with the traffic. And but um, it's beautiful out here. I, I've enjoyed meeting everybody at UCLA. Uh, you, you kind of see why why they've had the history of success that they've had, and, and I'm excited to try to uh, emulate that. Well, and the way you survive the long commutes in L.A. is you listen to great in-depth podcasts like the Hoosier Hysterics, and <laughs> you suddenly you're at your destination before you know it. Well, I, I, I I'm just I call my 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 Midwest friends in the morning uh, on the way home and make some recruiting calls to the to that part of the country in the morning and and uh, I make recruiting calls on the way home and it's it's not that bad I I, I say this when I I'm knocking on wood when I say this I haven't experienced um, just terrible traffic I'm 21 miles from campus uh, from my house to campus and I've gotten um, I've gotten here in 36 minutes. Uh, between 36 minutes and 48 minutes, and I, I left the other day right at five o'clock just to put myself right in the middle of rush hour, uh, and I got home in 48 minutes. So it hasn't been uh, too bad. Uh, there hasn't been any accidents on the 405 or the 101 for me, and um, I've become a big fan of the Waze app. So that's helped me out yeah. a little bit. Oh it's yeah, Waze. Ways. Waze makes driving like a video game. It's great. <laughs> it really makes it well, entertaining. Yeah, you see different parts. I mean, I'm I'm driving through through the hills of Bel Air just trying to get home in a decent amount of time instead of getting on the interstate. It, it takes you some some uh, off the old beaten path and ways, but it uh, it gets you there a little quicker. So let's let's take a step back because I actually didn't put it specifically in the intro, but I'm sure everybody listening to this knows Michael Lewis is now an assistant coach with the UCLA Bruins, one of the most storied basketball programs in the history of the game that we all love obviously the most national titles of anyone indiana will catch up soon uh but we won't get into that um but let just walk us through how you arrived at ucla i mean obviously you were coaching assistant coach at nebraska the last couple of years can you walk us through how the ucla gig presented itself to you and then i'd love to just get into what it means to be an assistant coach at this level it's a it's a real fancy story of how I, I got out here. I was um, you know when you when you live in Nebraska in the springtime you uh, you have to clean all that snow and all that you know the the salt and just the just all the crud from the winter out of your garage. And my wife were wife and I were in the in the garage cleaning it out, and I got a text message from from uh, Mick Cronin, and uh, you know he. Just was checking, you know, how things going, and then since since Tim Miles had been fired, and, and we had gone through that whole situation, I got several uh, really meaningful text messages from different, you know, coaches across the country, whether they were head coaches or assistant coaches, and and um, you know, I when I first read it, I just thought it was something like that, and um, I responded back to him, and, and uh, he came right back with that he was thinking about his staff and what he wanted, who he wanted to be a part of, the characteristics characteristics he was looking for and and so forth and um wanted to know if i was interested and i immediately i would love to talk to him about the opportunity and and uh he came back right away started selling me on how beautiful campus was how great ucla was didn't know how much time i'd spent out in la up until that till this point and um selling me on la and and i was just like you know this dude's serious you know i saw i showed my wife and i was like hey um, this could be an opportunity, you know, down the line. And, and uh, I visited out here um, shortly thereafter, and, 
and things took off. So I'm curious, Michael, when when you're an assistant coach at wait, this wait. level, I, yeah. I want to ask what those characteristics are that he was looking for that clearly you embody. Well, I, I hope I hope there's a lot of things, but um, you know, he he wanted he, he didn't feel like he he needed somebody that. Um, you know, he didn't want to go after somebody like, you know, hey, I'm connected. I can deliver this, you know, from any of his assistants. You know, he, he, he's not a big guy on, on that type of sell when you're selling yourself. And, um, you know, I think him, our paths have crossed at different times in our careers. I was an assistant in Eastern Illinois. He was a, the head coach at Murray State. Uh, we competed against each other when I was at Butler and he was at Cincinnati. And, um, you know, I've always kind of admired what he's been able to accomplish as a coach. And, and I think that he's kind of watched me work from afar. Um, I spoke to him uh, uh, briefly uh, about when I made the move to Nebraska just to kind of get his thoughts because it was somebody that um, I didn't know particularly well and, and I felt like would give, would give me, um, you know, an honest opinion, you know, without any type of personal interest involved in it uh, when I asked him. And so I think, we, you know, he's just kind of watched from afar, just watched me, you know, work. And, and he wanted somebody that, uh, you know, could – could maybe get some different offensive ideas, but also uh, was well-rounded as a coach and had been in different situations, had been in, around really good coaches and around good people. Um, and, and he just kept going back to, to things that uh, he used to say, Rick Pitino always told me when, when you hire head coaches, you hire guys that you believe um, are head coaches and will have the opportunity to be head coaches. You know, don't worry about anything else. Um, you know, those guys will get the job done for you. And, and uh, he said, we're going to be at UCLA you know, we're going to be connected enough, you know, and um, I want guys that, that know how to work, that can get the job done and and have, have had success in doing so. So you have been on several different staffs as an assistant coach. And, you know, just as a fan, what we read about assistant coaches at this level, at the Division One level, is that it does seem like each coach has their area of concentration. One guy is the really – connected guy to AAU coaches and recruiting one guy is the skill development guy one that that kind of thing Do, has that been your experience in coming up through the ranks as you have moved from kind of smaller schools to now you know you can't get any bigger than UCLA and if that's what you've seen have you kind of globbed on to any one area as an area of focus for you you see all kinds of things in this business um and I think, you know, sometimes guys get caught up in trying to be um, one of the certain things that you, you just spoke about. I've I've tried to um, stay away from getting pigeonholed as a certain uh, guy. And I've just tried to be um, – try to have my hands in everything. I've tried to be uh, very well-rounded. I've tried to um, be involved in every aspect of a basketball program. Because uh, my ultimate goal is to become a head coach, and I want to be as prepared as I possibly can be for when that opportunity comes. Um, so I've tried to try to navigate my way through uh, my career and, and um, you know spread my wings, so to speak, as far as I I can for in in dealing with those things and not to get pigeonholed, um, you know, in a certain certain thing. I've tried to develop great relationships with uh, high school coaches and AAU coaches um, throughout the country. Um, during my, my career as a coach, I've tried to, um, 
study up and develop um, offensive ideas and philosophies as well as defensive ideas and philosophies. And um, I think the, the most important thing that I've done in my career is um, I've been around some unbelievable people uh, and coaches. And when you when you look at who I have the opportunity to be around, um, I've been around some of the some of the best in the business. And in doing so, you see different ways of doing something. It's not like I've been with one guy my entire career, and that's what I know. Like I've been around some really good guys um, at various points throughout their career, and I, so I feel like I I have a very well well-rounded view of this profession and this game. What was the primary thing you learned under Brad Stevens? What if you if you had to tell us the one thing you took away from Brad Stevens? What would that be? I, I think I think Brad is as prepared as any coaches I've ever been around. Um, you know, I think you know we always felt like as players at Indiana, like if if we were prepared, if we did the things that Coach asked us to do, we were going to have an opportunity to win uh, because we felt like he was so prepared. Brad is. Um, you know, is as at that same level. Like he was, he's prepared for every situation. Um, he's he's uber intelligent, um, and just has a has a great feel uh, for the game and and uh, the, what what's next. Like you know, he can kind of see the game uh, in situations a few few plays ahead, and just just how efficient he works, uh, how efficient his practices are, uh, and just just how prepared he is for every situation. Chris Holtman. Uh, Chris was unbelievable um, with relationships with the players. And, you know, maybe it was just the time that uh, we were together in the situation we went through um, at, at Butler when he, you know, was the interim coach um, and what we felt like was best for that team. But, um, you know, he was unbelievable developing the relationships and managing, you know, those guys at that time and through a crucial, through, through a crucial time. Uh, of Butler basketball and can un, kind of navigate in that whole situation. He, he's unbelievable with that. He's really good uh, from the recruiting aspect of, of, you know, like I said, the relationship piece. Um, and then he, he's a very good X and O guy, and he's got a really good feel for the game. And Tim Miles? Tim is just ultimate energy. You know, the thing I respect about Tim um, is, you know, he, he, he didn't play at a, at a big – he wasn't a player. You know, he, he started at the bottom – um, and he just kind of carved his way and and, and made it uh, every step of the way just on on who he is and the success that he and his teams have have had. Like he, he didn't have a, a he wasn't latched on to some big name coach uh, that helped pave the way for him. He wasn't latched on um, because of who he was as a player uh, that got him a head start. Like he you know he started you know from the NAIA level um and just built himself all the way up until to a, a big 10 coach and and um you know so he did it a different way and i, I that's something that, that i've always admired about him but he's, he's got a great energy um he's really good with recruits um he, he just he just he, he just brings an overall vibe to a program that that uh, people enjoy being around so michael what is it like on a personal level when You've got a wife, you've got kids, and you're obviously hearing things in the media and reading things, I'm sure, about your the guy you're working for, the head coach's job status being uncertain going into the end of the season and the off season, And then ultimately, uh, he is let go, which obviously doesn't just throw his life into flux. It throws, I mean, I, I think it'd be fair to say it throws dozens of people's lives into flux. 
and not the least of which are his assistants and his staff. What is that like on a personal level uh, when you're going through something like that? Well, I think when, you, when you're in this business, um, you know, that's just the rea- reality of, of every year. You know, regardless of, of who you're with, I think, um, you know, you feel, um, you know, that type of responsibility to the university that you work for, that if you fail at your job, like this is a real possibility. Um, obviously, this that was the, the realest that I've ever experienced in, in my career. And you, know, you just have real conversations, you know, with your family. Like, you know, I, you know, I think... Um, you know, my, my wife, you know, knows what I do. She's, she's made several moves or she's, she's in this for the long haul. She, she understands, you know, I think the, the one fortunate thing for our situation was, was I had some, some security with a contract. Um, you know, I saw I was going to have an extra, extra year on my contract, regardless of, of what happened. And you, you can't really, you know, focus on, and all that stuff. Like, like I have, a um, I found a Nick Saban quote uh, several years ago that, you know, the biggest thing is to focus on winning, you know, don't get caught in all the clutter. And, and I would consider some of that talk, the, the clutter and, um, you know, it's just something you don't really have a lot of control over it. You know, that's ultimately going to be somebody else's decision. Um, you just show up and, and do your job and, and, uh, do your work as well as you can do it every day. And, and, um, that, that mantra has always worked for me. Um, and, you know, so it was, it was an unfortunate situation, but like, you know, I, I told Tim when, when it happened, like, like we just had, you know, back two of the best years back to back since 91, you know, um, and, and it wasn't good enough. So that's a credit to you, Tim, because of what you've built this program into and what the expectations, you know, are now. Like, you know, you, you just had back to back years of um, the best basketball in Nebraska history since 1991. And it's not good enough, you know, and that's, that's uh, when you sit back and you self-reflect and find out, you know, maybe what could you have done different or, or, or done better? Um, you've got to take all those things into account. Sure. Yeah, you have to find some peace in being like, well, we did better than anybody else did for about 30 years. <laughs> so I'm going to sleep well at night and go get my job in Los Angeles. You know, we were we were we were rocking and rolling here early this year. Now, yep. You know, we had it we had it humming pretty good, and had a had a rough patch or two, and then, um, you know, kind of got right back, kind of got right again in, in Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, um, you'll kind of, forgive yeah. us if we weren't real excited for you <laughs> yeah. on that one. Thanks for yeah, that. I, I Thanks for that. I I get it. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then and shortly after after that, um, you know, Isaac Copeland goes down to in Seattle, and and. Um, you know, things kind of teetered from, from there on out. But, um, you know, like like I told Tim, like, he was there seven years. Like, like Nebraska's only been to seven NCAA tournaments. Okay, they've never won an NCAA tournament game. You took them to one of those, you know. Right. Um, and you, you, because of who you are, you've, you've, you've built that program up to where a guy like Fred Hoiberg, when he's sitting out there, um, you know, Nebraska job is attractive to him. Like seven years ago, I don't think anybody um, of that stature would have been interested sure. in Nebraska. And so you, you did that by building the brand, building the program. Um, obviously, Nebraska 
has done done things on their end as far as from a facility standpoint and trying to make that place more attractive without the tradition of winning. Um, but you 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 made that program better. You made that job more attractive. The worst you have a monster out there in Fred Hoiberg that um, you know that job is now attractive. Uh, so two quick things. You you mentioned the game at Bloomington where you guys got right. It's interesting because our season, Indiana season, went straight down the crapper basically from that game. You can draw a straight line from that game to the rest of the season. And even Archie, when he's talked about the season, talked about that game really shook everyone's confidence on the team and that it was a very difficult thing to get back after that game. So basically what Archie was saying is Michael Lewis was to blame for Indiana's season going down the tubes. <laughs> so I hope you're okay with that, with, with your Hoosier blood. I just want you to accept that responsibility. Um, but but I did want to ask you something that you brought up, and then and then we're going to take a step back to the beginning of your career. There are schools like the Kentuckys and the Dukes and the Kansases and the North Carolinas that are just chocked full of so much talent that I think it's fair to say they could withstand a couple injuries here and there, some bad luck, and still be a top-tier team. And then there's everybody else where luck plays so much a part of success in basketball, especially in the college game where you're lucky if you have a star, one, on your team. How much is it frustrating for you being a, a coach now, knowing that it really does, like you talked about the injury to Copeland, Indiana went through the same thing with injuries to Jerome Hunter before the season. Romeo Langford had a bad hand. Deron Davis was out. I mean, Rob Finnessy got a concussion. So much is luck. How frustrating has that been, and how have you learned to kind of cope with that? And how important is luck? I think I think luck's important in anything, you know. I, um, but I, it, it's it's what it is, you know. It's, it's and so, um, you know, we we had we felt like you know, with looking back, um, one of our failures was uh, you know, we we didn't have enough depth on our team. Uh, at Nebraska. So um, whether that was due to people transferring out of the program in inopportune times, you know, um, or, you know, you just you didn't have, have enough depth from a recruiting standpoint to, to fill those voids. Because um, you're in a situation to do something in Nebraska that had never been done before, and that was to win a game in the NCAA tournament. And, and um, you know, we, we failed to do that. So, um, but, you know, that's just part of building a team and building a program. And, and, you know, each job has its pluses, and each job has its minuses. Um, you know, and, and you got to find your own niche and being able to, to make yourself successful. Um, and and we, we, we weren't able to do that enough, you know, at Nebraska. And you can – you can put your finger on on a number of different things, but um, you know I think that's one thing that's exciting about being here at UCLA. You know, is you you can, you know, you're in that same breath of of those teams that you you talked about, the Dukes, the Carolinas, the Kansases, you know, UCLA. Like I mean, you, you Kentucky's. You're talking about the the blue bloods, and and to have for myself to have an opportunity. Uh, to be a part of this program, I'm extremely excited about. It. I'm extremely excited about the opportunities it presents from a recruiting standpoint. Um, to to, I'm excited about the opportunity to kind of help, um, you know, rebuild not not rebuild, but kind of get this program back to experiencing um, 
year in and year out success and, and the challenges that the, that that presents. Um, you know, those are all things that excite me right now and at this point in my career. Well, let's get into the time machine and go back to the 1980s. We're in Jasper, Indiana, and a young Michael Lewis is finding the game of basketball. How, how did you really find yourself going beyond just the, the driveway pickup basketball we all played as kids and and it becoming something that would point you towards the rest of your life? Well, my, my dad was a, was a coach, um, and then he became an athletic director my junior year of high school. Um, but he, he was a coach up until that point. And so, I, you know, I was very fortunate as a kid. I could just tag along to the practices. Uh, always had a, an opportunity to grab the key to the gym and, uh, and go when I wanted. Um, but I was just always around the game, always playing, always, uh, you know, I guess I fell in love with it at a very young age. I can't pinpoint a certain time in my, in my life that that's what it, you know, I decided this is what I wanted to do. But, um, you know, just played it very young. Um, was always, because I tagged along, I was always around, you know, older kids. Um, so if I ever got into a, a horse game or one-on-one or pickup, it was always against older players. I think that really helped. Um, you know, my game developed by competing against older players. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I think, you know, I got to a point where, you know, okay, you're the best player, you know, at 10th Street Elementary. You know, like, is there somebody at Ireland Elementary or 5th Street Elementary that's better than you? And then, you know, you you play your little intramural games, you realize you're the best player in your grade in Jasper. And then, you know, can you, are you the best player you know, in, in two or three grades or, you know, whatever, however it goes. And, um, you know, I, I knew, you know, just from competing and playing other other teams. And then once we got into the middle school, we started playing other schools. Um, you know, you realize that, you know, you might be pretty good in your, your little area. And, and that's when I got onto an AU team called Municipal Garden uh, out of Indianapolis. So I had, you know, I drove the two and a half hours to, to uh to indianapolis uh to be a part of that that au program and you know it was the same program that damon bailey and eric montrose and those guys played uh, played for a guy named red taylor um and you know that kind of that's when i think i started to see basketball in a, in a much bigger way um not only you know going somewhere where you're not the best player anymore um and also seeing that, um, you know, how many really good players there are across the country when you get into these different tournaments. And, you know, AAU has changed so much now. Um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But um, it was a really good experience for me um, to, to be a part of that, that program. It kind of opened my eyes up a little bit, realize, you know, made me realize that, um, you know, I needed to work if I wanted to, to have the success that I wanted to have. And, and um, but also gave me some encouragement that, you know, this is something I can really do. What what role, if any, did Indiana University basketball play in your basketball life growing up? Were you a fan of the team? Were there players you mentioned like I mean, we're, we're the same age. So I grew up idolizing Steve Alford. I mean, just watching that guy play, obviously the Keith Smarts and then the that early 90s team of Cheney and Graham and. Bailey and Henderson and Nover shaped my kind of basketball fanaticism for Indiana. Did did the the Hoosiers mean anything to you growing up? Well, my my dad when 
when I, w- I was born um, in Indianapolis, my, my dad was coaching at Lebanon High School. Um, and then he got a head coaching job at, at Triton Central and then Bluffton and then Frontier, which is all in the northern part of the state. Um, <clears throat> so I, it, it's kind of hard to say, but I grew up a Purdue fan. Oh, boy, um, Michael. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a crazy story. I grew up a Purdue fan. Um, my, my dad worked Purdue camps. Um, I was a counselor at Purdue at like age 12. Um, I would always go to the Purdue camps. Now, when I was going to move, going into second grade, uh, we, that's when we moved to Jasper, uh, when I was going into second grade. And then now you're in the heart of Southern Indiana and everything that in, that entails. And, you know, it, it wasn't like I was just a diehard, you know, this or that. But as I got older and I started watching college basketball, um, and I, I always kind of had a, a dream to play college basketball, but as I got into junior high and, and um, especially going into my, you know, eight, like eighth grade freshman year of high school and, you know, you, you start, you know, really competing against some other schools and other players, not only locally, but then, you know, through AAU and the country, then, you know, you realize that, you know, this, this is real. Like you're going to have an opportunity. You kind of, I began to look at things different and that's probably, um, you know, when I started to realize that I had an opportunity to play college basketball and, you know, kind of what was, you know, what was going to be, um, you know, important to me. Now, in saying all that, like, I can remember exactly where I was when, when Indiana won the national championship in 87. I was um, in Ed Yarborough's living room, who was the head coach at, at Jasper High School at the time. My dad was an assistant. The, the adults were in the basement. The kids were all upstairs in the living room, and, and that's where I was when, when Keith hit the shot. And, um, you know, and then, you know, when I remember watching Calvert play in high school, he was at Evansville Harrison, and they were on our schedule. Um, you know, I remember watching him play in high school and in college. And uh, obviously, if you're an Indiana schoolboy at that time, like Damon Bailey was God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you you grow up in that era, and from second grade on, you're in the heart of southwestern Indiana. Obviously, the the Hoosiers became a a major part of of what I was surrounded with. You know, and and when you're surrounded with that, and you grow up, and and, and at that time. Um, you know, recruiting was, was much more regionalized. Um, you know, the, the TV networks weren't as big. So you, you know, in, in Jasper, Indiana, you couldn't watch UCLA, except, you know, once once or twice a year, like if you're on a national TV, TV game, you got Channel 4. You know, you got the, the guy blowing in the tuba on Monday night, you know, for a Purdue game, and you got you got the lady sweeping the floor in the assembly mm-hmm. hall and, uh, on Tuesday, and that's what you watch. You watch Notre Dame football. You know, those were your options when I was growing up. So, um, obviously, Indiana became much more important as I got older. And, and then when the time came, you know, came to, to make a decision, there wasn't any, anywhere else I wanted to play uh, than Indiana. Uh, real quick, because I want to get into how Indiana first reached out to you and your first interactions with Coach Knight. But you talked about remembering where you were when Keith hit the shot. Do you remember where you were when Purdue won their championship? Oh, right, right. They've never <laughs> won a championship. I'm sorry. Bad question. Got to cross that off the list, Ward. We can't ask that. Uh, we should ask it every time. <laughs> All right. So you're, you now realize you're going to play Division One college basketball. Like you said, recruiting is regionalized. When did Indiana first make contact with you, and what was the f- when was the first time you met Coach Knight? 
Uh, first time I met Coach Knight, I think it was a sophomore in high school. Um, I was uh, I was invited up uh, to a game at the end of my sophomore year. I think it might have been, you know, senior night game. Uh, my high school coach uh, picked me up and took me took me to the game, and I think that was the first time that um, I had you know interactions with the coaching staff. Uh, I had been around some college coaches before that. My, my freshman year, uh, Scott Rowland was at Jasper High School. Um, and so my freshman year, Scott was a senior. Uh, and obviously he's, you know, Major League Baseball fame, but um, he was an unbelievable basketball player. And so we, you know, we had some um, some schools come through and, and look at him, uh, look at him um, at that at that time. And then I was a freshman, you know, playing you know, playing varsity and, and uh, was having a decent freshman year. So, you know, you're kind of that, you know, now that I'm a coach, you kind of get that, hey, you know, maybe put your eyes on this young kid. He may end up being something, you know. But um, the first time I had any any interaction with the with the Indiana staff, uh, I believe, was the end of my sophomore year. Just went up to a, to a game. And then my, my junior year went up to a few more. And then I, I committed uh, in February of my junior year of high school. Do you remember your first time one-on-one meeting Coach Knight, and what what kind of was in your mind before meeting him? And when you first met him, did your perception of him change at all? Uh, I, I don't remember the first time, uh, like what what our interaction was. I, I really don't, uh, honestly. But um, I, I do just remember, you know, like Coach is a big dude now. Like he, <laughs> like he's. You know, you, you see him on TV, and a lot of times, you know, he's not always standing next to a guy like me. Like he's standing next to, you know, a sixteen guy or something. So, um, his his size, I think, you know, initially struck me as like, like I mean, he's a coach that's solid six five. You know, I mean, he's a big dude, and um, you know, you just really like that's Bob Knight. You know, at that time, like that's, you know, that's Bob Knight. Like you know, and you can't. Um, it, it was just, it was just different. I mean, he was. He, he was everything that that you you thought he was at that time. You know he was you know he was on top of the college basketball world and um, you know he was coaching at the place that that I wanted to play at, and he was you know the reason why the play why Indiana was the place I wanted to play at. You know it wasn't um, you know he at that time he was Indiana basketball. I mean. Right. We we all we all know that, and so like that's where I wanted to be, and it it was because of him, you know. So, um, you know, I I don't really remember the first time. I do I do uh, I, when I committed, like I, I wasn't heavily recruited by them. Like my like it's it's not some big sexy recruitment line. You didn't do a press school, conference. You, know? you didn't you didn't cut your list down to six and put it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, I went from uh, yeah thirty two, then we cut it to sixteen, then we cut it to eight. It was like you had brackets. Yeah, you had somebody Photoshop uh, you and all uh, the jerseys. Yeah, you know, and I was, I was, I was. Yeah, I'm hashtag blessed every time. No, uh, <laughs> no it. it uh, I showed up. Uh, I was going. I remember it was in February, uh, my junior year of high school. There. Uh, they're playing Minnesota in Assembly Hall, and and I, you know, after my first meeting up there, you know, I they kind of had an open invitation because was, you know, Jasper's only about an hour, an hour and a half from Bloomington. Like, hey, any game you want to come to, just let us know. 
Um, and the more I went up there, I, it's not like I had to, to bring a parent with me. You know, I could bring a buddy or, you know, whatnot. And so I'd done that several times. And, uh, you know, we, the Minnesota game was coming up and, and uh, I called up to get tickets and, and Dockage was just, you know, like, yeah, you're more than welcome. And hey, why don't you, um, why don't you bring your mom and dad, you know, this time, I think coach wants to talk to you. And so we, uh, we went up as during the middle of the week game. I don't, you know, what day, but it was, it was a school night game and we went up there and, and they got, they got beat by Rashawn Leonard and the guys and mm. Leonard, Leonard threw it off the backboard and dunked it at the buzzer and, you know, all that stuff. And so, um, you know, you lose at assembly hall, that stuff, that stuff wasn't happening very often back then. And, and, um, you know, we were just going to get in the car and go home. And, you know, Doc, was just like, no, stick around. Coach wants to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And so it took us down um, to what they called the Players' Lounge, which was really just a, a room with two chairs and a TV. <laughs> and uh, it's not like what you see today. And it's not like we were sitting in, in this room for for eternity. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Coach, Coach finally walked in and, and – uh, you know, his sweater was off, his collar was flipped up on, on one side, his his hair was all messed up, and, you know, he says hi to everybody, and he sits down, and he's just like, you know, he said, Mike, I feel like I need to shoot some birds tomorrow. Is there anywhere, anywhere down around Jasper I can shoot some birds? And, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old. Like, I don't, I mean, you know, like, yeah. I just like that, eh. you know, and I kind of, you know, just kind of go through and some kind of fake answer, I'm sure, and, and uh, he just kind of shakes his head, and he, he looks at me, and he's just like, you want to play ball here? And I was just like, yeah. And um, he stood up, slapped me on the shoulder, said, all right, my boy. Shook my mom and dad's hand and uh, walked out. And uh, <laughs> that was it. You know, and, and so we, we, I mean, we walk all the way to the car, like just dead silence. We finally get in the car, and my dad's like, what just happened? <laughs> I was, you know, and I was just saying, I think I'm going to Indiana. And that was it. That was, that was my deal. And now, now coach did, he did, you know, as he walked out the door, he stopped and poked his head back in. And he's like, now what do you, what do you got about a month left in, you know, your season, you know, your sectional starting out a little bit. And we were like, yeah. And, and uh, he's like, well, Hey, this is done. You're coming to Indiana. Wow. But yeah, I was done. I was done. I was done early February of my junior year. And then you went on your senior. Did I read this right? You averaged something like 31 a game as a senior in high school? Yeah, I didn't pass much. I didn't pass much <laughs> in high school. You know, like, um, you know, I, I mean, my freshman year with, with Scotty, um, you know, he, he was really good. Um, you know, we, we, you know, I passed it then, but really from my sophomore year and on, if, um, if that ball touched my hands, I was trying to score. All right, so now let's get into – you get you graduate from Jasper. You're coming to Indiana. You're coming in with a recruiting class of AJ Guyton, you, Luke Jimenez, and Jason Collier. Correct? That was your recruiting class. Yes. Did you did you have a relationship with any of those guys leading into the freshman year? Yeah, I had a really good relationship with Jason. Um, once I recruited, or I mean, once I committed, um, you know part of my job was to start, you know, recruiting Jason and it, you didn't have cell phones back then, you know, so right. I had his own, I had his own phone number. It was like, when he called your buddy, see if he wanted to play, you know, like, Hey, is Jason there? Like, you know, and we, 
we chatted up on the phone occasionally, but uh, it was it was interesting. We both, you know, obviously we got invited to the Nike All American Camp in Indianapolis, and you know, Co- Coach was pretty powerful <laughs> at, that time, at that time, and just somehow, um, you know, Jason and I just happened to be roommates that week. You know, just <laughs> mm. miraculously, we were roommates. Um, and, and I think Luke Recker had committed um, the same spring that I committed, but like, but he committed like later, like more, like he committed as a sophomore. Right. So it was a couple months after I had committed, and Luke just happened to be next door to us, you know. So, um, and then uh, I, you know, obviously I didn't need to take an official visit. Jason did take an official visit. And um, so my my official visit was Jason's official visit, just so I was there with him. Matter of fact, I uh, you can still do private planes back then uh, for you know when you flew recruits in, you could use private airfare or you know airplanes. And so I had to drive 25 minutes uh, the opposite direction of Bloomington to a, a small airport, Huntingburg, Indiana, to jump on this uh, small plane to fly to Springfield, Ohio, to pick Jason up. Uh, the flying to Bloomington, uh, where coach picked us up uh, in Bloomington. So, how cool um, was that? How cool was that? You're a 17, 18 year old kid and you're flying on a private plane. Come on. Did you think yeah, you were I, on top of the world? I mean, I I'm, I just turned 42 a couple of days ago, and every time I step in a private plane, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I think this was our freshman year, because I, uh, I was a freshman in, in McNutt, but I had some friends from Peru, one in particular who was at Lambda Chi on 3rd Street, so I would go down there and eventually join. But what, weren't you and Jason down the street at Pike's? Did you guys get involved at the Pike House? We, we did. There was uh, several guys from my hometown that were, were in were Pike House, and, and we did um, we were like a, like an honorary member uh, of the Pike House, and um, we we had those guys were really good good to us. Um, you know, we had we had kind of like we weren't going we didn't go through the initiation thing. We didn't have um, any say in the house. We, you know, we didn't anything like that. Like, no hazing. You know, we, no hazing. No, nothing like that. <laughs> like we just kind of had a. It, it, they were really cool about it. They they gave us a place to hang out and and yeah. to, to meet some different people outside of basketball. And, um, you know, we, we would um, be at some social uh, functions for them, especially during, you know, the, you know, their recruitment process of, of guys. And, and um, you know, we, it was really good. We had a lot of fun with those guys. Yeah. You basically had the best parts of a fraternity without <laughs> dealing with all the BS of a fraternity. You got, to, <laughs> you got to party and meet girls. That's what you got to do with the fraternity. It worked out both ways, yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, Michael, walk us through what you remember about diving right into practices with Coach Knight and how different was that from anything that you had experienced to this point? Just just the intensity of everything. Um, you know, the, the intensity of the practices, um, both physically and mentally, um, the demands that were put on you um, as far as pushing you. Like you, you, you went from being the best player at your high school and your area and your state, you know, to like, you're just, you're just scrapping to survive, you know? And um, I think the, the biggest thing of, of, of my freshman year, uh, and you, you brought it up earlier, like when I was in high school, I was, I was a scorer, 
you know, I, I mean, I said it all the time. I, I was known as a scorer. That's what I did, you know, and um, I get to my freshman year of, of at Indiana and I get called over. Um, is either the first or second practice of my freshman year. It's before practice. We're kind of going through some pre-practice drills, and Coach Knight calls me over, and, and uh, he's like, Mike, you want to play a lot or a little? <laughs> and, and you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a freshman. I just don't – I'm either starting my first practice or, or getting ready to start my second one. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're an eager freshman. I was like, Coach, I want to play a lot, you know. And he's like, well, then quit shooting the effing ball. <laughs> and – and I'm just, you know, like I, I look at that now as as a coach. Like if you you called a player in and told him that, like I mean, it'd be transfer before, you know, that night. You know, it'd be transferring out of your school. But um, you know, he just said, hey, listen, like I, you know, Andre Patterson's going to score. I think he's going to have the ability to score. Uh, Neil Reed can score. Um, you know, what I need, I need somebody that can lead this team. I need somebody that can direct the offense. I need somebody that can get the ball. Uh, to where it needs to go, when it needs to be there, on time, on target, um, and I need I need some toughness on the court. Like if you can provide that, you'll play as much as you want for four years. If you want to shoot the ball like you did in high school, then you can sit next to me. Mm-hmm. And so that's you know I just I just took that um, now and, and just like okay this is this is what I got to do to help this team win. This is what I got to do to to get to get on the floor and play. And, and, uh, so I just try, I just ran with him, tried to be as good as I possibly could with it. But it's, it's interesting now that, that I'm coaching when I look back on that conversation. Um, and I refer to it sometimes, you know, when I'm recruiting a guy or, you know, there's a guy in the program that I'm coaching, like I'll, I'll tell that story just to, you know, maybe get a certain point across. Like, you know, you, we don't always get what we want or what we perceive you know, in a situation, but, you know, what is being asked for you? What is, you know, what is best for our situation, you know, and, and for us at Indiana, uh, they didn't need me to score. They needed to do something else. And um, so that's what I tried to do. Michael, I want to take a second here to, to pause on that and that kind of transition you made, because everything that I read about college basketball is and I think this is just a common thing of how important guards are in deep runs in the NCAA tournament and just depth at the guard position and especially having that point guard, that person who can distribute, get the team running correctly, be the the kind of rock. But everything I read is that learning the point guard position is like next to impossible. It's like being a quarterback in football. It's it like everybody's a combo guard or a shooting guard and like the point guards a uniform <laughs> anymore. Yes, and even the combo guards that you try to make into point guards, it rarely works out. How in the world were you able to go from really a scorer in in high school and in short order not just becoming a serviceable point guard to get on the court, but one of the best point guards to ever play at Indiana University? Did you have to like go back to the drawing board on your game? Like how did you work on that? I failed a lot. <laughs> um, no, I, I think it, it, it's it's. I think it's it's a mentality um, that you have, and I I think it was. You know, I, you you say the point guard position is learned. Like, I think it can be. I also think it's just something that um, is is in the guys and certain players. Um, and each team, 
um, dependent on the the player's abilities. Like you may have a scoring point guard, like you alluded to a combo. Like what what really is a combo? Is it a guy? Is it a point guard that can really score? Like you know, and and I I, I don't like getting into the you know categorizing players um, at that type of level. Like I just I want to try to get as many good players that fit together that you know enhance each other's. Um, you know, abilities to ultimately lead to what you're trying to do as a team. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think those characteristics that coach was, was looking for were, were always in me. Um, just what we needed for me to do in high school in basketball was much different than what, um, they needed me to do in Indiana to, to try to win basketball games. And, you know, it's just it was much much different. Same same characteristics, but just maybe a different skill set instead of scoring. Like just do some other things that you have the ability to do that maybe you just haven't done. Like try passing the ball. You know, and mm-hmm. and so you know, I always felt like even in high school, I felt like I, I saw the game. I felt like I um, saw different things that maybe some other guys didn't see. But you know, I I needed to score for us to be successful, and so. Um, you know, that's, that's why I did it. And I had some unbelievable teammates, you know, some of still some of my best friends, you know, to this day, you know, you, you play high school sports, with, but, um, at Indiana, I needed to do something different for, for us to, to be successful and for me to be able to get on the floor. And when you're in the motion offense coached by coach Knight, how much of it is that you all are on the same page because of what his philosophy is and he's imparted to you and how much of it is just being on the floor with these guys and knowing by how they're moving or a look you give each other that that you get to just understand what the other person's thinking how much is it coaching and how much is it chemistry between the people who are on the floor and the time spent on the floor together well, it, it helps when you have good players. Like, I, I you always look a, a lot better um, as a player when you're around good players. You look a lot better as a coach when you have good players. Um, and so just, you know, being on the court with some high-level guys, you know, always always helps. Uh, I think Coach was very good at, at giving us uh, an outline. Um, you know, you, when you're running, you know, emotional offense, you're, you're not going from A to B, you know, and then, to C and then you know, it's, it's – um, it's a lot off of reads. Um, it's about understanding your role and what you do best and, and what the other guys around you do best. Um, and and that, a lot of that is, is from the coaching aspect of, you know, verbalizing, hey, this is what we need you to do. And then it, it's, it's on the responsibility of the player to understand that and to not fight that, but to, to do what you're being asked to do and doing what, you know, you, that can help the team win. And, and so we – we always had like this outline, Hey, this is what we want to do. And you, and then, you know, we were allowed a lot of freedom to work within that outline and, and, um, you know, had some success. And when you got guys that can score the way that, that Andre did, or, I mean, AJ Guyton, I mean, unbelievable, um, you know, score that I got to play with for four years. Um, you know, it makes things a little bit easier. When we talked to Pat Graham, recently he talked uh, and almost phrased it exactly how you did with your freshman year especially those practices which is you are just fighting for survival I mean he talked about that you are just trying to get by you're you're not thinking about several weeks off you're not thinking about future games you're not thinking about personal success you are just trying to survive was there a point in your freshman year 
or did it take even longer where everything started to slow down for you and you started to feel, uh, I hesitate to use the word comfortable because I don't know if Coach Knight ever <laughs> lets anybody get comfortable, but when did things start to click for you a little bit? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you ever get comfortable. Um, and, that, and now that I coach, I don't know if you ever, um, I think that's, that's one thing that made Coach Knight so good is he never allowed um, anybody to get comfortable. Like if you had a good game, you know, you may get the, the pat the pat on the back of the head, um, you know, like the, the attaboy. But then that next day, like his, his demands and his expectations of you rose. You know, you weren't ever allowed to, to relax and, and sit back on, on the previous day or the previous game. You know, he was always trying to, to stretch your bounds um, and to get, get you outside your comfort zone, you know, and, and, you know, try to get comfortable being uncomfortable, so to speak. And I think he designed a lot of his practices um, and his preparation in that manner to where when you, when you got to the game, um, that's where your comfort level came out because, the practices were so uncomfortable that when you got to the game, that's, that's where your comfort level came out. Um, and, you know, so I, I don't, I don't think I ever became comfortable. I'm, I'm glad now that I was never allowed to become comfortable. I'm, I'm not good comfortable. Like, I think that's something that you realize later in life. Like if you look at my coaching career, I've made some decisions to, to become uncomfortable, to continue to, I think, you know, when you're uncomfortable, that's where you, you really grow you know, as, as a coach and as a person, but, um, I got very, I felt, um, you know, confident in, in my abilities and my role in the team, um, probably about in my junior year, probably the start of my junior year is where I kind of felt like, okay, I, I understand what coach wants me to do. I understand the expectations. Um, I'm, I'm good with the accountability. I understand if I don't meet these expectations, you know, that I'm not going to play. Um, but I, I felt confident in, in what I could do and what I could provide for the team. Probably probably around my junior years where I kind of fell into that, I think, in my mind. Now to take a, a step back and looking at the program at a whole, you're coming in as a freshman. Uh, freshman year, you guys are at 500 in conference. Um, and it's coming off of like a few years now away from the, the Calvert Cheney era. Are you aware of the growing sense of, of maybe anxiety or a little hand-wringing or even heightened anticipation with such a great freshman class with you and Jason and, and Luke Reckers coming the year after that? Are you getting a sense that, that the Hoosier Nation is ready for the next great era of, of Hoosier basketball? Do, do you feel any kind of tension going on, or are you just so inside the program, inside the team, trying to make everyday work that you're not really aware of of the outside noise yeah I, I think you're so inside like um and and i don't think the outside noise was as loud then as it is now um because of the internet and the social media and um the instant access to to news and message boards and all that type of stuff like sure we didn't we didn't have that you know and like I didn't have an email address until I got to college. Yeah, yeah, I got. I, mean, I, I had my first one in McNutt. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like I mean, we didn't have that stuff, so people's access to you was very limited. Like now, some clown sitting in his mom's basement can um, followers can just take a name on something and it goes 
um, you know, directly to your phone and, and you think that that's real. Like, that's not real. That's just, you know, it's, so, you know, we didn't have to deal with some of that stuff. Now, there was some hype um, around our class because of, you know, Jason was a McDonald's All-American, um, you know, but I, I mean, we knew right away, you know, our first pickup game that this, this kind of under-recruited kid named A.J. Guyton was going to be pretty good. Like, I mean, this dude was, you know, he moved different. Uh, he jumped different. He shot different. Like, he was a different type of player. Um, and you knew that right away. But you know, I think we started two juniors and three freshmen, um, you know, my first collegiate game against UConn. Um, so, you you know, and I think when you go to a place like Indiana, that's one of the reasons you go to Indiana. Like, you don't shy away from those expect- expectations. You don't shy away from the history of the program. That's that's why you come to coach at UCLA. You don't shy away from 11 national championships. You know, you don't shy away from the fact they just went to three consecutive final fours um, in the late, two, you know, 2000s, you know, the early 2000s there, you know, six, seven, eight. Like, you don't shy away from those things. Like, if you're going to shy away from those things, you don't go to – you don't coach at UCLA, you don't play at Indiana. Um, and, and I think um, – you know, we were aware of what the expectations were because that's what had been done there um, until that point. When we talked to A.J. Guyton, you mentioned your your extremely uh, talented teammate. One of the things that stands out about the four years that you guys shared the court together and, and wore the candy stripes was when you look back on it now, it really was maybe the four most tumultuous years of Indiana basketball. I think more recent history, people look at when Coach Crean came and took over for Coach Sampson. But from your freshman year through your senior year, it almost felt like, in looking back again, that there is just thing that happened after thing that happened that could really derail a team. You And it, it really started, I believe, with the Neil Reed incident that happened in practice, I believe, your freshman year in 97 in the spring, I I might be wrong there. It might've been in the fall, but can you just talk about, and to, to frame it for everybody, you had that thing happen. You then had Jason Collier transfer. You then had Luke Recker transfer. And then of course you had the, the story blow up as you got into your senior year. What was it like just managing being the best you could be at a division one level and having to go through all of these just gut punches throughout your career. Well, I, I think you just you just you just you do your job. Like I, I had a job to do as a player, um, and you know, regardless of of circumstance, I was doing my job. I didn't matter. You know, I, you know, I think that's you know, I think that's kind of a, a definition of, of toughness. Like you, you know, you, you do your job regardless of circumstance. And it didn't matter if um, Collier transferred, record transferred, or what was going on. Like, when it was time to get on the court or it was time to, you know, lift weights or do your individual work or whatever it was, you, you did your job. You know, you you, you kind of you limit and you control the controllables, you know. And and the one thing that, that I could control was, was uh, you know, how I tried to play or my effort, you know, each day that everyone went out. You know, those other things I didn't didn't have a lot of control over. You did know? you and, go ahead? Sorry, did you ever consider transferring? No, no. I mean, I'm from Indiana. Where was <laughs> I gonna go? 
Um, you know, like, I mean, I mean it, it, it was just one of those things. And, and you look back and you, you talked about the, the four, you know, the four years, like, um, and, and our four years, like you look back at it now, like our four years at that time were deemed uh, unsuccessful uh, because we never went to a Sweet 16. Um, but we won 20 games every year. Yep. Uh, we were we were ranked in the top 25 um, at some point uh, every year, um, and we went to four NCAA tournaments. Those were the, the expectations. Um, you know, it wasn't are you going to make the tournament. It was like where are we going um, at that time, and, and that's that's a credit to to Coach Knight. That's a credit to all those guys that 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 played um, before I was before I was there. That they they raised the level of that program to where, you know, that was the expectation. Um, and when you went to four state tournaments and you were ranked in the top 25, four times, um, and you won 20 games, four consecutive years, like that was, that was a disappointment that you were deemed unsuccessful because you didn't meet the expectations of the players before you. Michael, I, your perspective on it is really refreshing in that just do your job, which I, which I get. I'm just remembering what I was like as a 19-year-old kid. Like, it's one thing being a 41, 42-year-old adult and looking at that. But you talked about how you had a really good relationship with Jason Collier and really recruited him hard to come to Indiana. When he was going through whatever he was going through, were you – he was your buddy, your friend. Did that – that didn't impact you at all? You were able to kind of block that out? Or how did you deal with that? No, I mean, it, it impacts you. Like, your, your roommate just, you know, all of a sudden he's not there one day. Like, I mean, you know, your your guy that you, you ride to practice with or you ride to class with, like, you go to, you know, you ride early morning weight sessions with, like, he's just not there. So, yeah, it, it impacts you, but, um, and it, it, it takes a toll on you, but it not, I don't remember it disabling me from doing my job. Got you it. know, and I, I think, um, <clears throat> I think that's one reason why, um, I've been able to to have a certain level of success success um, in coaching is is you're able to you know kind of decipher through all the noise and, and what's really important. Um, what do you have to do? You know, and and what's best for the certain situation. And and um, was I sad that Jason left? Absolutely. Like, did it bother me? Absolutely. Um, but there's also a competitive spirit. Uh, inside me that if, if Jason doesn't want to be a part of this team, um, then go somewhere else. Right. You know, that's fine. You know, and, and um, you know, that's a decision he has to make. If he don't want to be a part of this, then fine. Like, we're going we're gonna to win because I'm here and I'm going to try to help you help this team do whatever we can to win. And we got other good players here. AJC, like, you know, if you don't want to be a part of this, fine. If you think you can – you have more success somewhere else, fine. And I'm not talking about just Jason. I'm talking about, you know, everybody in, involved. That was that was kind of my my mindset at the time. Like, hey, listen, man, we're this we're going in this direction and you're either getting on this bus or, or getting off. Like we we need you all the way on this bus or all the way off the bus. We don't need somebody kinda of hanging out the window, you know, check, checking the temperature of different things and um you know, so I I think that was part of my mindset. Did it bother me? Absolutely. I mean it's, you know, it's but I, I don't think it was, you know, debilitating to where I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do what, what was being asked of me. And do you think some of these issues that were starting to plague the team later, uh, really here in the last four years of Coach Knight's era, was it some that 
that the mentality of of players were starting to change even before Twitter was a thing was and and that coach Knight was not willing to to maybe coddle players a little bit more or or was there was it just bad luck of a couple personalities coming in that that just didn't work could you kind of put your finger on why now again I, I think it was um you know if if Jason Collier transfers and and um you know we we beat St. John's in in 99 and go to Sweet 16 I don't think you, you I don't think you talk about that I don't think you ask that question you know I you know I think you know, I think it was a combination of um, we weren't winning at the same level that Indiana had won at over a period of time. Um, and so what is the reason why? And so you start pointing fingers and putting blame on, well, it's this. You know, you got you said these guys transferred. That wasn't the first time guys transferred out of Indiana. You know, that wasn't the first time there was player defections or anything like that. Um, but prior to that, they they continued to win. An extremely high level. I mean, you look at uh, the Cheney years, then Thunderbird leaved, then Chris Lawson leaved. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there was always some some stuff, but they were they continued to win at the level um, that Coach Knight in Indiana had become accustomed to winning at. So it was just um, well, those guys don't belong here. You know, they were just shunned. You know, where you know, although we would take my four years right now, oh, yeah. like back then, yeah. It was it was deemed unsuccessful. So, well, now maybe it's something else, right? Well, before it was the players don't belong here. Now it's well, Coach Knight does this, Coach Knight does that, or you know, whatever it is. I think it's just, I think it was a different time, and, and but I think a lot of it had to do with the the lack of um, perceived success, especially in the, in the NCAA tournament. You know, is is what what caused all that stuff. And I I, I don't think um, you know obviously. You know, we're in a much different time now as we're sitting here in 2019. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's changed. I think adults have changed. I think people around them have changed um, for various reasons. Um, and not, not all bad, not all good. Um, but I think it's just a, a, a different time where, um, you know, as much now as anything, um, the relationship piece uh, on a team from coach and player is much more important today uh, than when I played. You know, like like I, I've experienced like guys guys that I've coached, they enjoy coming to my house um, for a barbecue, or enjoy coming over and watching an NBA game, or enjoy um, <clears throat> you know me grabbing them and, and meeting them um, somewhere on campus for lunch, or or uh, whether you know whatever it is that stuff is really important to them. I, I never wanted to eat dinner at Coach Knight with Coach Knight. Like, that was like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was the last thing I wanted to do. Right? Right. I, I didn't want to go to Coach Knight's house and eat dinner. Like, are you kidding me? But, <laughs> you would um, think it was a punishment. And, and, I, and, I, and I loved it. Like I, but that was not my mentality. You know, and that's not what I was expecting out of out of my coach at that time. And I think um, was what is expected of me now as a coach much different than what I expected from from my coach, and I, I find that that unique. And you know, it's also you know one of the most rewarding things of, of what I do now. Uh, I read off a bunch of your accolades and your accomplishments on the court uh, when we started this, 
But I, I, the thing I, I left out, and the words come up a couple times in this conversation, I think if there is anything that is the defining characteristic of Michael Lewis as an Indiana University basketball player is toughness. I think that when I think of you, I think of your demeanor on the court. I, I think of how tough you just appeared on the court and you never gave an inch to anyone. Well, and how tough you have to be to yell at Coach Knight. Yes. Well, I, <laughs> I wanted to get into that for sure, but I was leading towards how much I loved watching you play because of that toughness. And then on February 27th, your junior year, we had a home game against Iowa, ranked number 18 in the country. You had a really good game. You had 10 points, four assists. We beat a ranked team. It was a big win. But that game is remembered for some other highlight. Do you remember what highlight is remembered from that game? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, as a former player, you spend four years um, given a university uh, and, a, and a team everything you have. And you walk away and you're remembered for um, yelling back at Coach Knight, having a, a moment of craziness and yelling back at Coach Knight. And you're remembered for uh, blasting a ball off a dude's face. So, um, yeah, I mean, it makes you feel really good as a player about all that time and, and hard work you put in. And then, and then you leave and these are the two things that you're remembered for. But, yeah, no, I remember that. I'd do it again. <laughs> well, to me, it's again what I remember you for is toughness, period. And I think that those two elements, those two moments were indications of your toughness. So, yes, people, of course, it's the things that live on on YouTube. That's just kind of the society that we're in. <laughs> but, but for me, it was you were the guy that the other teams didn't want to play against because you annoyed the hell out of them. You were tough, you were gritty, you would get up in guys. Was that always how you played the game of basketball, or was that something again that when you got into Indiana and saw what you needed to do at this level to gain any kind of edge, that that it developed over your four years? Well, I would like to think that that was always inside me. I, I think it was. I think you know, um, I've, I've always kind of taken pride in having a, a level of toughness. I think it was something at Indiana, like. I had to be that to, to compete. Like I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't as good as some of these other guys. I didn't have some of the natural physical abilities that some of these other guys had, um, you know, and, and so that's what I had to do to be successful. That's what I had to do to, to compete and to survive. Um, but, but I also think, you know, I, I tell guys all the time, I get worried about, um, you know, somebody said, well, you can't go left or, you know, so they're going to, I mean, they're, bound to prove that they can go left. like who cares like that's somebody's opinion like I've always felt like you know if you want to say I couldn't shoot or you want to say I I wasn't a good player or I couldn't do this like that's fine that's your opinion but I'm not ever going to allow uh somebody to say like I didn't play hard or I was soft hmm. like I think that's I think that's the the worst thing you can ever say uh about a player is that he was soft or he didn't play hard he didn't compete so I can control that. Right. I can. I, I can't control whether or not you think I can. I can defend or pass or shoot or drill. I can't. That's your opinion. But but you're not ever gonna say that I was soft or I don't compete or I wasn't tough. Um. And, and that's something I, I've always taken great great pride in. Well, part of that Indiana University experience that was so formative for you obviously was the basketball but beyond that was also everything else that being a student athlete at indiana means and part of that no doubt 
maybe I, I don't want to speak for you, but one of the most influential things has to be your junior year when you took a bowling class that took place at the Union once a week, and I happened to be in that class with you. Do you remember this class? Absolutely, I remember that, that class. So you were, you were on the same high-stress academic schedule that I was on. <laughs> yes, now, but, but wait, Michael, but wait a minute. we got to pause here. I was a senior coasting to my graduation. You were a junior. You were supposed to be Coast. in the middle of it. Yeah, I was a junior coasting to my graduation as well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you and I would, and I have to tell you, you and I, you, you obviously don't remember this because I was nobody and you were Michael Lewis at Indiana. But you and I did a lot of trash talking about bowling back in that class. There was some good bowling trash talk. And I'm just going to say it. I beat you more than you beat me. I'm just going to say that. Well, I, I, I can't dispute that because I, I don't. But I do know this. If we were keeping score, I was being competitive. I know that. So that, absolutely, <laughs> I was trash talking. Oh, yeah. Talking. I remember it. it I re- what I remember, and I don't remember specific things that you said to me, but I do remember when we started like keeping score and there would be a game where you and I would compete against each other. I would like say something that I thought was funny. You would come back at me with some piece of trash talk that made me question my own humanity. Like it was so <laughs> it was so deep and cutting. I was like, what is this guy doing to me? I'm like he's shaking my confidence as a person with this trash talk bowling <laughs> stuff. Yeah, well. There's no reason to waste time. Like, like, there's no reason to fluff trash talk. Like, if you're not a trash talk, you just go get right to the heart of the matter and, and go deep, you know. But I got an interesting bowling story. So my wife now, always dating her in college, you know, you just you was trying to find something to do. I knew whether we had an early practice the next day or we, I don't even know if we had a game or whatever. My, we went to dinner and we were driving back to, to my apartment. And uh, there was a bowling alley there. And so it just kind of like, hey, you want to go bowl? And so we went in and we bowled. And so I play basketball left-handed. But I, I like write and eat and I do a bunch of things right-handed, you know. And and I always just kind of did sports with whatever felt natural. So I swung a bat left-handed. I played golf right-handed. Uh, I kick left foot. Like I shoot pool off the right side. Like I'm just kind of mixed up, you know, in that, in that way. And so – I, I started bowling uh, against my wife or my girlfriend at the time, and she beats me, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I mean, I can't, I can't stomach that. Like, <laughs> I can't stomach it, right? But I'm trying to be the big boy in the situation, so I kind of let it go. And so for the next week, I stopped by that bowling alley on the way back home every day. <laughs> and I would, I would roll in there. And I would bowl a game right-handed, and I would bowl a game left-handed, and then I'd go back to the apartment. I did that every day. So then the next next weekend, whatever, we were going to do, drive back, like, hey, you want to play bowling again? I was fine. And I kicked her ass <laughs> right-handed. I kicked her ass left-handed. And, I mean, I felt I felt so good about that. And I didn't tell her for years and years and years that I had come back and, and practiced every day. But I, I couldn't. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle I it. I love so, it. You know, but, Bowling is one of those things, like, even to this day, like, if we go, like, bowling as a family, like, with my daughters and stuff, like, left-handed or right-handed, it doesn't, neither one feels right or natural, where, and that's really the only thing I've ever done where something didn't feel natural and using one of 
one of my hands. I dribble left-handed, shoot right-handed, and I just recently heard the term cross-dominant because people are like, are you ambidextrous or what is that? I'm like, no, I do some things good with one hand and better with the other hand, and then just found it like on a Reddit thread that we, apparently that's what we are. We are cross-dominant, Michael. What happens though if you well, suck at both of the things you just said you do? Does that mean- Then you just suck. <laughs> then you just suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, Michael, let's yeah. talk a little bit more about the Indiana experience just as a student there, uh, yeah. and, and just as, a, as part of the Indiana community. Favorite pizza? Oh, pizza express back then because it was cheap and you got, I mean, you got the most for your money. I mean, the Big Ten, 10 special? special 10, yes. 10, 10 bucks. Yes. I mean, large pizza, large one-topping pizza, yes. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Two Cokes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Breadsticks and, uh, and the two Tootsie Rolls. I mean, you can't beat it. Yeah. You can, oh, and I you, forgot about the, the Tootsie, Tootsie Rolls. rolls. That's a get, good touch. Do you still have any of the yeah. plastic cups? Um, yes, we do because when I was at Butler, um, we would go to, there was a, uh, I forget what they call it now, but Hot it's basically, box. you know, they, yeah, yeah. So they had that whole little, whole little confrontation about the, like all that stuff. They got the recipes, hot box. Um, and so I, I had a couple hot box. Yes. Um, and I, I don't know if I still have them or I don't know if they made this move or not because we, we, we've got rid of some stuff, you know, when you move, you get a chance to kind of get rid of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like when Hotbox came, came uh, like I would, they didn't deliver to my house in Zinesville. So, I mean, I drove um, to the location off of, uh, what is that, 421 or whatever that is, like, you know, kind of splits Carmel and Zinesville. Like I, I would drive over there and pick it up and take it back to my house. Yes. <laughs> uh, about eight years ago or so, I, dr- I was visiting my family. I grew up in St. Louis, and Indiana was playing a New Year's Eve game, I believe, against Ohio State. And I... I drove by myself from St. Louis to Indiana the day of the game, had lunch at Dagwoods, went to the yeah. game, went to the game, and then if I am in Bloomington, I cannot leave without getting Pizza Express or whatever whatever it is called now, Hotbox. Yeah. So on the way, and then I was just driving home that night. I didn't stay in Bloomington. Watched the game, got in my car, on the way out of town, called the nearest Hotbox, Pizza Express. I need a Big Ten special. Got it in the car ate it and drank it as I drove back to St. Louis. It was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, but it's not 10 bucks anymore. It's like 22. I, I mean, yeah. like, what are you kidding me? I just want the Big Ten special. It's 10 bucks. Like, yeah. no, no, it's 22. It, it's okay. in the name, Big Ten. Yeah. All right, Michael, oh, yeah. uh, favorite bar? Oh, wow. I mean, can you pick one? Like, I don't know if I can pick one. <laughs> well, give us a couple. Um, what were your haunts? What were the places you went my, to? My haunts, uh, obviously, like now, you, know, you go back, you go to Nick's. Yeah. You know, you go to Nick's, you do the whole alumni, um, you know, the whole Nick thing. I was a big, I liked Bluebird. I like yes. I liked listening. I like I would listen to some some um, live music. So I liked Bluebird, and it was dark and smaller, and um, you kind of hide out in there a little bit. But no, I liked. I liked uh, the Bluebird. I liked Nick's. Um, obviously, during the summertime, uh, uh, Kilroy's, the sports was big in the summer during yeah. summer school. Um, that was big. The regular Kilroy's on Kirkwood was always good. Upstairs was good. Like, I mean, I don't want to just start reeling off every bar. <laughs> and, I don't wanna... <laughs> and obviously, you didn't go to any of them until you turned 21, right? You no. Didn't, no, you didn't well, hit now, any of them. Now, see, that's, that's, uh, that's the one thing about being an IU basketball player. You, like all my buddies from high school, they had all these fake IDs, and and um, 
My birthday is July 27th. I remember it was in the summer, so it was low key. That one. Happy birthday, Michael. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Happy belated. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so not as many people on campus, and I remember trying to go. Like this is it was so dumb, so dumb. Like two or three weeks before I was turning 21, I tried to go in with a couple of my buddies, and the dude at the doorman was, was just like, Mike. Like, I mean, I gave him some ID, right? And he's just like, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> just looking like Mike, come on. <laughs> I was like, what? What? My name's Whitney or whatever. And it's like, you know, and they got posters of you all around, right? So he's just like, come on. You know, Yeah, that is that is the downside of going to a school where basketball is everything. You you do not get to get away with much there. It, it's a, it's a, it's such a different time. Like, you know, it was um it's such a different time with all the the cameras on the phones and right and the social media and different things. Um, I'm not sure I would I would be um, as comfortable being a college student today um, as I was when we were in school. But you know these guys now that this is what they've grown up with. Like you know right. every every kid now that we coach like he doesn't know anything. Like even my my daughter saw a, a phone hanging on the on a on a wall in a house and she's like, what is that? Like they don't even know what that is, right? You know? So it's just such a di- such a different time. Totally. So we all talk. Everybody knows how intense Coach Knight is. We, we I don't think we need to cover that. Although I do want to ask you two. I have to ask you one quick question about Coach Knight, and then I'm going to turn it over to you for something about Coach Knight. When we talked to Todd Leary recently, Leary yeah. told us that it was a very common thing to be called into Coach Knight's locker room. And he would be buck naked. He went there, huh? Yes, he, went there. he did. He told us. In fact, wait, Mike, you'll love this. He, oh, I love it. I love it. Which, by the way, you just confirmed it. But, um, but wait, wait, you got to listen to this. He told us that his first experience with that was that he was called in the first practice of his sophomore year. Coach wants to see you in his private locker room. First practice, so October 14th or whatever it is back then. He goes in, yeah. buck naked, and he said Dakich and Felling are just sitting there fully clothed, which is he said was even more weird. But he said that Coach Knight said to him, uh, hey, Todd, you're going to redshirt this year. That was his first time experience buck naked Coach Knight was being told he was going to redshirt. So I have to ask you, give you have to remember the first time that happened to you. Well, see, I mean, some some of these guys, you got to understand, like some of these guys, um, you know, like I think they maybe can be a little bit more open. Like, like I, I have a job in this business of college basketball. <laughs> you know, I would like to continue to to. Uh, I really enjoy what I do. I enjoy this profession. Okay. Um, but, um, I mean, I think I think when when uh, you know you you you're around somebody that much. Um, I'm trying to be careful here. Like I, mean, I played for him for four years, and then I was a grad assistant for two years with him. And um, you know, sometimes maybe you you uh, you catch each other sometimes in different states of undress. So, <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, I think that's I think that's been uh, that's been known to happen maybe a time or two. Fair enough. So now I want to ask you this. <laughs> I, I won't I won't push any more there because I think we all got the confirmation we need. But what what I do want to know is. The thing that that people who know Coach Knight well and played for him and you have a really um, unique relationship because you did go on to coach with him and kind of learn under him, and I want to get into that. But the people that know him know he's one of the funniest guys 
that you've ever met as well. He he could make the room die if he wanted to. Do you does any story with between your four years of playing for him and your two years of being a grad assistant with him, does any funny story of Coach Knight behind the scenes that you can share that wouldn't get you fired? Uh, can you can you share anything with us that just lets us in on a little bit more of that personality? Well, there's just I mean, there's, there's so many different layers to coach, um, and, and he he has such um, an unbelievable charisma about him. Um, you know, when he chooses to, like it's it's uh, you know he he can he can own a room um, really like nobody I've I've ever been around. And I've been very fortunate, you know, in my life to, to have been around some really, really cool people, good people, you know, powerful people, however you want to phrase it. Um, you know, coach has it, whatever it is, he has it. Like he can, he can own a room. He can walk into a room where um, of a hundred people or 99 of them, you know, go in with a preconceived notion that they don't like him. And if he wants to, he can he can walk out of there an hour later, and they're all in love with him. Like he he has that ability, you know. He has that that level of charisma to do that. Um, yeah, you when you when you're around a team, the team dynamic is is uh, so unique. It's, it's unlike anything else um, because you you experience such different waves of emotion, with the highs and lows, and um, you know, there's just so many different things that don't that pop up. You know, as, I, as I'm talking here, different stories of of coach, but um, you know, I'll tell one from me as a grad assistant. I'm standing up, I'm holding the ball at midcourt, standing next to Pat Knight, and and uh, we're at Texas Tech in, in their arena practicing, and and um, coach gets upset, um, and he he turns to like kick the scores table, and the they, you know, now everything's electronic and, you know, LED screen, all that, you know, all those screens and they just pop up ads. Well, then, you know, you had like every 15 seconds that ad would like roll. It was like on a roller. Right. And, and so he, he went to kick that scores table and it rolled up on him. And so his foot flew up. I mean, he, he completely <laughs> air all up in the air and crashes <laughs> down, you know, on his back. And he, you know, he's he's older, right? So right. he's kind of like rolling, rolling around. And he gets up, and every, nobody really knows what he's like. Everybody's kind of looking around, and, and uh, you know, Pat Pat's just dying. Like Pat turns around and walks out the other end of the gym. He's laughing so hard, he walks <laughs> out into the tunnel. And I've got that ball under my, so I got, I'm holding that ball in front of my face because I'm, I mean, I'm dying laughing. And and everybody's kind of looking at people that have been around coach, like, is, like, is it okay for us to bust out laughing, you know? And, and um, coach stands up and he's like, see, I'm the only one out here busting my ass, you know? And, and, and then everybody, everybody just jokes and, you know, you, you move on. But um, he's just got a very unique personality. He's got a very unique way about him. Um, and like I said, he can, he can own a room, um, like nobody I've ever seen, um, good or bad. Like, and, and he he completely dictates that. And, and um, you know, he, he's just been very good to me. Uh, I, talk, I talked to him, uh, you know, when I made this move to UCLA. And, and um, you know, I've talked to him um, about every decision uh, that I've made, you know, in my career path. Like, he's always somebody that, that I call and, um, you know, just kind of get his opinion or his thoughts on, on different things. And, and 
you know, every, every time that he's, he's picked up the phone, he's, he's always answered is, you know, what can I do for you, Mike? You know, and it's, wow. you know, I've always like, coach, I don't, you know, I'm good. I don't, I don't need anything. I just want, you know, like, you know, and then just kind of ask questions, get caught up. And he's, he's been, he's, he's, he's been great. He's, he's been, um, to me, what I hope, uh, I become to, to guys that I coach. Wow. That's really great. Before we leave your playing career at Indiana and, and come into the home stretch here, besides playing Purdue, obviously, and beating Purdue, the other game that matters to Indiana or mattered until they took it off the schedule is when we play Kentucky. And I don't care who they have, who we have, what they're ranked, what we're ranked. We hate Kentucky. We want to beat them. And your senior year, you play them at the RCA Dome, which back then was it called the Hoosier Dome at that point, or had they already changed it to the RCA Dome? I don't remember. I think I think it was. I'm old now. I think it was still the Hoosier Dome. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's still the Hoosier. There were you know forty thousand people come to that game, split down the middle, some red, some white, uh, some blue, and you turn in. I, I would say, and I remember this game, one of your best games as a Hoosier. Do you remember that game and? Can you talk a little bit about what it was like playing and beating Kentucky, especially in your senior year? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember the other three times we played them, but I do remember the. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember my senior year. It, it's um, we, we got to get that back. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't. Who, whoever's in charge, um, we, yes. we got to get that back. Um, let's Agreed. you know, let's put the egos aside. Let's figure it out. I don't care how far in advance schedules are like I'm in this business we can work it out we got to get that back you know it's it's such a it's such a cool experience and I'm not talking um the home and home that like I don't care how we have to do it we've got to get that series back I you know, couldn't you know, agree where, more. wherever that is that is um one of the coolest atmospheres uh to play in um you know you got like you said half blue and white half red and white um, it's a, it's a big deal to both fan bases. Um, as a college basketball player, like that's those those are the type of games that you know, like each game is important, but those are the kind of games that like okay, this is this is cool. Like this this is what college basketball is about. And, and every every university has you know some of those. And, and um, it was it was really cool. I just I remember. Um, yeah, I don't really remember any particular plays. Like I've been involved in a lot of games, player, coach, and right. things kind of kind of run together. But um, you know, I I do like you. You remember some of the weirdest things. Like I remember those games running out because it, it's such you know your locker room is is so much farther away. You know, and like the walk to the court. Um, but I remember like running out and just you know the the blue and white, the red and white, and booing on one end and cheering on the other. And, um, just how cool it was when when a team scored like one end just blew up, you know, and the other end was dead silent. Like just, you know, those different things. But I remember after we won the game, walking off, um, and you know, we we weren't supposed to be very good my senior year. Um, you know, we we had lot you know record transferred, um, you know, Collier transferred the year before. Um, I think it was like the first time in. Um, number of years that Indiana wasn't in the preseason top 25. Um, and so a lot of people had written us off and 
you know, I think we, we, I think we beat Temple that year. We won at Missouri. We beat Carolina. We beat Kentucky all in the preseason. You know, the only game we lost, uh, we don't need to talk about was the Indiana state. Right. Um, right. you know, and, and that was the only game we lost in the preseason. And, and I remember, you know, coach, as we're getting ready to go to the big 10, he's like, you know, if you guys would have been focused for one more day, you'd be the number two team in the country right now as we head into the big 10 and what a, what an accomplishment for you guys for a team that didn't start in the top 25 that nobody thought was going to be any good. You guys have put yourselves in this position, you know, and then he would go on to like your lack of focus on that one day, you know, and we've got to get that corrected to be the best we can be throughout the rest of the season, all that stuff. But I do remember beating Kentucky and walking off the court and uh, John Trelor stopping me. And uh, he's just like, Hey, stop. You know, he, uh, he said, turn around and uh, take this in like you know this is as good as it gets so i do, i remember spinning around and kind of looking around like you just kind of like hey this is pretty cool yeah you know that's just part of, that's just one of the things that you get to do um you know what you know when you get to play at a at a place like that and you're involved in those in those type of games it's like the same thing like you know, when I was at Butler, like that, that Crossroads Classic thing, that's really cool for those guys. Yes. You know, at Butler. Like, um, you know, at Nebraska, when, you know, that the Creighton game, like that's a really cool atmosphere for those guys. Like there's certain certain things and atmospheres that you get to play in that are just, just different. Well, well by uh, the way, I just want to say his box score here for that sure. game and then turn it over to you, Ward. So I just want to remind you in that game, your senior year against 13th-ranked Kentucky, which, by the way, I went back and looked at three NBA players on that roster for Kentucky. You went off for 17 points, five assists, three rebounds. That is one hell of a way to go out in your Hoosier career against the rival Kentucky. And, and well, and, it's the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, and, and now, Michael, you, you had uh... – said something earlier about like when I asked you if you'd consider transferring you're like no I'm from Indiana and then here when we were talking about the Indiana Kentucky game you go we got to get that back you grew up a Purdue fan and then you know you coached uh, or you worked under coach Knight at Texas Tech and now Butler for some great years in Nebraska now you're at UCLA but will you always feel like a Hoosier or is that like a romantic thing those of us who don't actually play and coach think Will you always f- feel that that is absolutely part of who you are, no matter where else you coach? Yeah, I mean it's it's a major part of who I am. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know if it's to the point that you, you know the one thing about and, and fans are unbelievable, but like you know, I, like you you go meet somebody and like, well, you look different, you know. <laughs> Well, hey man, it's been 25 years. <laughs> we all look different. <laughs> what you look like, you know, like, um, but I, I think we know, you know, fans that they're so emotionally involved and so attached, um, and to a lot of fans, like, I will always be 18 to 22 years old, and you know, now like I'm I'm 42, like I I have a, a, a career, I have a family, like you know, um, but to fans, they they have you. You know, like Keith Smart's always the guy making the shot, right? But you know, like, and that's where you have them at their point of life, and they're never supposed to change, right? Um, but you know, Indiana is always—it's uh, a major part of who I am today. It will always be a major part of who I am. Um, Indiana basketball, like down to my core. Um, you know, it's—it's—it's 
it is never I guess it's something like it's I don't like it meant so much uh to me to to wear that uniform like I I don't I'm not not gonna say hey it meant more to me than anybody like no like but it's it's never meant more to anybody else than it than it did to me to represent everything that that place stands for um to represent uh the history of the program uh the the guys that have been in it like how they went about it like that stuff is always going to be with me and be a major part of of who i am so um i want indiana to win every game unless i'm on the other sideline <laughs> and like that's and, and some and some fans can't understand that like you know when i was at butler when i was in nebraska like well this game must be hard for you like I mean, I get what they're trying to say, but no, it's it's not. Like I, I'm a competitor, um, and when when you are as deeply involved um, in a in a in the everyday life of other individuals that make up a team that you're with, like your your care, your like all that that you pour into that, like no, it's not hard. Like I'm trying to beat your today now <laughs> yeah. tomorrow now tomorrow i hope you guys win like i want i want you to be successful like um so no but it's it's hard for some people to under understand that but when you're involved in the day-to-day preparation that i was at butler in nebraska um and you're so invested in like i had like we talked about my college experience like i had my experience like i loved it okay but now like my job is to make these players at UCLA feel about their experience the way that I do about mine. And so to do that, you give them everything you have in every facet of their life. And, and um, then you, then you go and try to, uh, I get a ton of enjoyment watching them enjoy their success. Like when I was at Butler and Indiana was number one and we beat them, like it was so cool to watch those guys reaction. You know, and, and how they felt, you know, about beating the number one team in the country. It didn't matter if it was Indiana or if it would have been somebody else. Beating the number one team in the country and, and the enjoyment that they got, you know, because of the work that they put in. You know, like, those are the really cool things. Um, so I, I pull for Indiana um, as much as anybody except when I'm competing against them. And then it uh, I'm beat their ass and it's not hard for me to switch the gears like you know the when i walk back in assembly hall when i'm on the other side like, i didn't know where the visitor locker room was which by the way like they need i mean that's terrible that's, <laughs> i mean that is, and it, it, it needs to be terrible like, I mean, i'm not into dressing up visitors locker room like they should feel like they're in a in a bad spot and that visitors locker room is it's not the best over that's there good. on the other good side but, but um no like you're you're uh you know it, it's cool before the game um you know, the fans are great. They come up and say hi, and, you know, you see a lot of familiar faces. Some of the security people are the same. Some of the ushers are the same. Um, you know, and, and uh, but when, when when that game goes, that's my job. You know, and so then it's not, it's not hard to differentiate. Well, I think I can speak for about every Indiana fan that we were very happy for you to land this great gig at UCLA, but it was really tough to then get the news not long after that, that there was an assistant coach position available at Indiana university. What do you say 
you pack it up and head back to Bloomington. <laughs> I think it would really just everybody would love that. And and then you could be cheering and coaching for your, your alma mater. <laughs> well, I, I think, um, you know, I think different timing is so much um, in life, uh, in this business. Um, you know, I feel very fortunate to, to be uh, here at UCLA. I mean, like, come on, like, uh, like <clears throat> I was telling a buddy, like, I got a, like, I'm from Jasper, Indiana, and I got to play at Indiana, and now I get a coach at UCLA. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. And, um, you know, they're like, well, you need to make it come full circle. Like, you know, I'm like, well, you know, like. I just try to do my job. Like I'm, I've tried to get different opportunities um, in my career. I've tried to, you know, reach out to guys when opportunities have come up um, at different places. And I am O for life um, when I've tried to get a job. Uh, each job, each job that I've gotten um, has come about just how like this one came up where somebody's reached out to me or maybe a um, somebody that knew knew both of us. Like you know, hey, why don't you look at this guy? I think he'd be a a good candidate or a good idea and put us in contact. Um, but timing is so much of everything. I think, um, you know, I think Archie's going to hire a good assistant. I think Archie's going to, um, I just saw, you know, Arch uh, a couple weeks ago in Birmingham um, at an AAU event. And, and um, you know, Archie's been very good to me, very, very open with me, very accommodating. And, and I want him to do well. Like I told you, like I want them to do, unless they're playing UCLA, I want them to win every game. And, and, uh, you know, I just, just told him, Hey, just keep doing, just keep banging away, man. Keep doing what you do. Like, um, you know, he's got an, he's got an unbelievable opportunity, uh, to be the head coach at Indiana. Um, and he's got a great deal of responsibility that comes, comes with that. And I think he, he understands that. And I, I wish them, um, nothing but the best, uh, unless we're staring at each other, uh, from opposite opposite sidelines. I, I do want to ask you one specific thing about Archie that I think you could provide perspective on that the, almost everyone else that, that is listening to this would not have, which is you prepared uh, against Archie coaching Indiana when you were at Nebraska just last season. What is it that you can tell Indiana fans when you're watching games of Indiana, when you've seen Archie coaching and seen his teams, what is it from a coaching perspective that you look at and can tell Indiana fans that Archie brings to the table that should give us all confidence in the future? Well, I think he's trying to, you know, he's trying to instill, um, you know, his will into the program. I think you can see that. I think, um, you know, that was – you know, something he obviously in year one, he was really trying to do, trying to get some of those guys to buy into what he's doing. Um, I think he's doing an outstanding job recruiting, um, you know, and, and he's just, you know, it's, it's one of those places that um, I'm not sure any level of success will ever be, you know, good enough. Um, you know, I was just at Nebraska and, uh, you know, I think Nebraska football and Indiana basketball are, are similar in a lot of ways. Um, with the history of success, the history of great pra- uh, players, the pride um, in the program from within and from uh, the fan base, um, and a lot of success that had happened pretty far in the past that they're trying to get back to. Um, I think they're they're very similar, 
and it was interesting living out there and kind of kind of watching watching that but um you know indiana is uh is very unique i think it's a like i said it's i, I just look back at, at my experience and and what it's done for me and um you know like i said i i exploit indiana every day and uh um you know i i made made a great decision when i was 17 years old I did see a picture you posted recently with with Dusty, with AJ, with Dane. You guys were all at an event together. Yeah. Have you? We should we, sh- we should have waited one more day and and got uh got Bailey and Jamal Meeson. Oh yeah, oh, that'd have been good. They were there. They yeah. they showed up as well, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Damon's son was playing in the tournament, and uh, Jamal was was recruiting. That's great. So, uh, how much? Yet, what if any of those guys? Now that we are in the age of cell phones, you you, you text with any of the guys from back in the day? Are you, uh, or is it more just when you run in and see each other in a, a a professional situation like that? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I mean, obviously, we run across each other at these you know mass events at the AU weekends. Um, you know, you keep in touch through text back and forth. Um, you know, you know, Fife and I being in the in the same league there for for several years and. Um, you know, different ideas and thoughts on different teams and, and whatnot. And, you know, maybe what worked here, what didn't work, what would you have done different, um, you know, after competing against each other, maybe your thoughts on, um, hey, this is what we try to do to you, you know, and vice versa. Um, but, yeah, you just, you know, when, when, when you're a part of a team and, and you go through the things the teams do, um, there's always a special bond um, that, you know, you just kind of pick up where you where you left off regardless of, how often you keep in contact. Um, but with those guys within the, this community, obviously I, I see them more and communicate with them more, but you know, I, I also keep in contact with some, with some other guys, but um, it, it's always, it's always good to run across those guys, sit there and, and catch up, um, tell some old stories, some old lies and, and uh, go on. It's always, it's always good. Well, Michael, I, I want to just s- you know, wrap up here by saying one thing, alluding back to what Ward talked about with the assistant job at Indiana. I am sure you do not follow the message boards and the Twitter that revolves around Indiana University basketball the way that us two lunatic fans do. But I will tell you, <laughs> I will tell you, and and I, and I really do mean this: the number of tweets and messages on boards that have gone out since this assistant coaching job became available at Indiana where people have just clamored for you to come back without knowing any of, you know, Indiana fans are lunatics and we don't care about reality and timing and all that. But there are so many fans who have tweeted and and posted messages about wanting you to come back for this position. And I think what that does say, besides the fact that we're all idiots and have no idea what we're talking about and have no care for timing and (laughs) circumstance, is that, Michael, your career at Indiana was not defined by two moments that may have lived on in YouTube clips. It was defined by the way you wore the candy stripes, by the fact that you played your ass off every single game that you played for Indiana, by your toughness on the court, by your leadership. That is the memory that has been left with these fans who now you know, 20 years later are 20, even more look at this position at Indiana and go, we just want that back because that's how they remember you. We have followed your career since leaving Indiana. And as Ward said, couldn't be more proud to be able to call you one of our own and a a Hoosier. 
and I just hope you know that there is love for you in the Indiana community that is very real and runs very deep, and we couldn't be happier for you and your success. And the fact that you're out here in L.A. means Ward and I will stalk you and want to have a bowling uh, family event with all of our families. <laughs> well, I, I uh, one, I uh, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. And I think that's that's one of the the things that makes um, you know Indiana part of what it is 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 the fans. And you know, as as people are like, oh, they got crazy fans, or you know, and Nebraska was was the same way. Like. <clears throat> I think that's what makes, you know, those jobs, those universities so attractive is because of the passion, because of the interest um, that the, and what it means uh, to the people that, that care about it and cheer for it and, and, and um, you know, are so emotionally invested um, in the program and wanted to do well. Those, as a coach, those are the things that you, you, you look at as when, when you're looking at opportunities, like, does it matter? um to that university does it matter to that fan base like how and and obviously when you're you know when you're talking about indiana when you're talking about uh ucla like yes it does it does matter and those you want to be at a place as a coach that has expectations you want to be at a place that has tradition that has had a history of success um you know one of the most difficult things about the nebraska job is they they wanted us um to achieve something that had never been done and for me that's that's part of why I took the job like that challenge drove me that challenge to 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 do something at a program that had never been done before excited me it, it, you know when I woke up in the morning and, and was driving to work that's that's what kept me going was to try to do that and I thought we were in a great position to do so um and, and some things unraveled on us and you know the, that's what excites me about UCLA like You've, you've got uh, this history of tradition of winning um, at the highest level, 11 national championships more than anybody, the second most uh, NBA players uh, than any school in the country. Like, um, And not only that, but then just the type of people uh, that this university attracts. Like, It's the most applied to school in the country. It's the number one public institution in the country. So to be around that um, and to represent that and what it means to these people um, is what drives me now. And then I just – you know, like one of the best pieces of advice that Coach Knight ever ever gave me was just do your job. You know, when I told him I wanted to coach, um, he said just do your job. He said, and, uh, you know, when I went out to be a GA, like one of the first things he had me do was, was sweep the floor. Like, and I think part of it was just teaching me, like, you know, like do your job. Like, no, no job is above you. Like, you're gonna have to take a step back and do it. He always said, whatever the job is, don't ever think you're above it. Just do it to the best of your ability. And if you do that, then because of who you are, you will do it well enough that it will lead to the next opportunity. And that's kind of how I've approached my career. He, truer words have, from him have never been said because that's exactly how my career is laid out. I've just done my job at each spot, and it's always led to the next opportunity. And that's what I'm going to try to do here. I'm going to work my ass off uh, every day and pour myself into these these players here and try to help them uh, achieve the dreams and have the feeling about their experience that I've talked about the way that I feel about mine. Um, and if I do that, then it's going to lead to, to my next opportunity, whether that's a head coaching job somewhere or whatever it is, um, it'll, it'll lead to that next opportunity. Um, and who knows where it's going to be. Well, I just want to say as a student who got to be there the same four years as you, as AJ, that it 
was such a big part of my experience going to those games or if you guys were on the road going to Knicks and watching every single one of those games and and going to watch IU basketball was a huge part of why I wanted to go to Bloomington and just to say thank you for four years of of joy because whatever and, and we talked to AJ about it too feeling you know th- this idea that it wasn't as successful as other eras but all I can say was there was never a game it didn't feel like we had a real shot to win and we won most of them and it was just so fun the temple game where you know the last second shot to win uh Michigan State it was just four years of getting jacked up for every game and most of them we came out on the right side and watching you and AJ and everybody else it was a blast and everything you know I wanted going to Bloomington so I think that's for me, that's the memories I will always have going forward. And it's it's part of the reason I'm here 20 years later talking to you and yeah. anybody else who's crazy enough to say yes to do one of these interviews. <laughs> it's because watching those games not only are, are great memories in and of themselves, but people like me and Eric or my buddies, uh, I'm, I'm going to see this weekend down in Hermosa Beach. We had season tickets together. We went and we watched you on the court, and it 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 bonded us for life. Just as fans, we weren't even you know sweating, grinding it out every day like you guys were. So you've you create this sort of uh, experience that is not only four great undergraduate years, but it's literally a lifetime of memories you gave us. So thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, and, and that's that's something that that was that was shared to us. Like I, I think when you're a player, you're, you're very self-absorbed in the, you know, what you're doing and how things are going for you. But that was always something that was always passed down to us from, from former players or, um, you know, the coaching staff, cause they'd been around, um, you know, different experiences, like, you know, how much, uh, what our basketball program meant, um, to so many people. And, and, and I think, and that's something that you only know and you can only talk about and can only share the experience is if you've been a part of it and you've done it. And, and I think, um, you know, what you just, what you just talked about, like that, those are the things that you remember and, and it, it does, it means so much to so many people. Um, and, and I can't tell you how many people have come up to me as like, you know, like I, I was going through this in my life and I just couldn't wait till Saturday afternoon or Tuesday night, you know, cause you guys had another game. And that, that's the really cool thing um, about college basketball. Like, you know, like going through the, the deal that we had in Nebraska, like I was speaking at a booster event in Omaha and uh, they kind of asked a question similar to what you asked earlier in this interview. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, like, dude, listen, I coach basketball. Like this, this is not real life. Like it's not like I, you know, I, I, I coach a game uh, that I was able to play that has allowed me um, to do a lot of different things and to be around some unbelievable people. Um, and and you, you try to use the game to teach the guys that you're with how to deal with real life situations. Like our, our deal in the that's not, like I said, it's not real life. Like it is like there's people jobs and they lost and we moved around the, but it's not real life. It's, it's, it's basketball. Okay. But you can use that game to teach those players when they deal with something that is real, when they're 30, 
35, 40 years old, that maybe they can look back on their time in Nebraska and they, you know, hey, like, this is how we handle this. Like, you use those experiences to try to teach people to deal with, with the ups and downs of life, you know, or of being a good husband or being a father, or, you know, whatever it is. Use those instances in basketball to prepare them for things that are real, you know, whether or not, you know, Tim Miles got fired and I had to take another, like, I honestly like if UCLA calls, like I'm going to UCLA regardless if I had a job or didn't have a job. Like you know, like so like but you you use those things to to prepare guys for life because their real life is gonna happen. You know, they're we're all living a fair a fairy tale. I've just been really lucky that I've been able to live uh this fairy tale for, for a long, long time and I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to write it out as long as I can, you know, and but you use those you use those things, you use I reflect back on my experiences I, um, and, you, and you try to try to use different things that you go through as a team to prepare them for when life really does happen because this is this is just really it's make-believe like it's fun and games like we use a game to teach teach life lessons and prepare them for when things do get real uh real quick before we let you go when when you guys played illinois and bloomington and luke Recker got hurt and ted valentine threw coach knight out of the game did you think coach knight was going to knock him out you know, I, I remember, um, you know, looking over my shoulder and seeing, uh, I knew he had been tossed and he normally goes out tunnel yeah. A, right? Whatever. And he started going the other way. And, um, I, I was a little like, you know, you have one of those like, Oh, moments, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, I would. I couldn't, I knew from where I was, I couldn't get to him <laughs> before, before he got there. Right. And so I was like, it's like, there's nothing like, you know, whatever happens is about to happen. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, it's one of those things, but I, I will say this about Ted Valentine. Like that was a bad instance as a coach. Um, when you're in a big game, especially on the road, you want Ted Valentine on your game. Oh, you're you're just doing some diplomatic stuff right now. No, this is no, you. I'm not, I'm in the Pac-12 no, 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 this year. No, listen, what's going on? Listen, <laughs> no, listen, no, no, no. I don't even know. Like, I, I'll say it. So that was my opinion of Ted Valentine. Was that whole instance? Right. Right. As a player. Right. So you you instantly like, oh, you know, he's doing us wrong, whatever. Um, the first time I had him as an official as a coach, he's in Charleston, Illinois, and we're playing. Um, oh, you know, like the Big Ten ACC Challenge. We had like a, like a, they used to have those mid-major games late in the year. Um, you know, when they tried to give like, you know, it was like for the Butlers and the Gonzagas to have a yes. RPI game type of deal, right? right. You remember, I forget what they called those. But we were in the mix of that just because it all filtered down. So we're playing like Western Michigan in Charleston, Illinois in front of 72 people, right? <laughs> so... Um, Ted Valentine walks out and I'm like, we got Ted Valentine on Eastern Illinois, Western Michigan game. Like this dude's going to be terrible. Like he's not going to be fired up about this game means nothing to him. Right. Like the paycheck's lower. Like it's probably cut in half what he normally, like he's going to be terrible. He was unbelievable. He was unbelievable calling the game. And then obviously I had him at different spots in my, my coaching career. And I always felt comfortable when he was on the game. Now, you know, you may have to approach him in a different way or, you know, different things. But as far as calling the game, he's as good as it gets 
you know, now some of his other antics, and I think he'll be the first to admit, like sometimes he can, you know, do things that, that he wishes maybe he wouldn't, you know, as I think we all have, right? But as far as calling a game, um, he's I, – I feel very good with – with him calling it, especially when you're when you're in a big game, because he's he's not going to get caught up in some of the stuff. Like you may get, you know, he, in those big games that that matter, he's he's as he's as good as it gets. And there's there's probably a handful of guys that um, that are like him that when they walk out on the court, you're like, okay, this is one, you're in a big game, and then two, like this is this those guys aren't going to be an issue. Well. Michael, you have done the impossible. You have come on our ridiculous podcast, told us you were a Purdue fan growing up, and defended Ted Valentine, and somehow we still love you. So uh, (laughs) thank you for that. Uh, Thank you for giving us so much of your time. We know how busy your schedule is. I will say good luck to you and to UCLA this season. You have given me a reason to root for UCLA in any game that has no impact on Indiana. Well, you guys – I mean, with us, all of us being out here, we need we need to get together or something. You Let's guys need do to it. Come to a game. You need to come to a game. You need to like whatever. You've got any hidden hidden spots out here? Oh, in yeah. that, that I need to know about. Um, Let's you know, do it. Know. It's and, been a lot, it's been a lot of fun, fellas. I oh, appreciate it. Great. Well, and and look, man, we we got kids uh, the same age as your as your kids, so we can get all the kids together too. Perfect. Person. All right. You Mike, know any babysitters? I don't know anybody. Like, I do. Any babysitters you can pass along? Yes, I have a couple babysitters actually that live out in in your world, like Woodland Hills and Calabasas. I'll pass them on to you. Absolutely. All Love right. It. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you, guys. Take, Take care, care, bud. Hysterics. I, I, I'm telling you, he's just one tough son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you can just feel it like there's a grit and a a focus a, a focus and a fire mm-hmm. and you understand why coach knight asked him to be a grad assistant to texas tech michael clearly was the general on the court for coach knight and and for for him to have that kind of relationship up until a few weeks ago he called him up and got to talk to him about this ucla job that's not something a lot of players had with Coach Knight. Right. You're absolutely right. And and I think, you know, and, and I get it with Coach Knight. You're a legend, and it's, you know, you, you did this for 30, 40 years, and there's hundreds and hundreds of players. You you can't have that kind of relationship with all your players, but it shows that there's something very, very special, very unique about Michael for Coach Knight to make sure that relationship endured and it's a, a really good sign, I think, that Michael, of course, will be a head coach someday, probably pretty soon. And let's just hope it's not against Indiana okay. on a regular basis. I don't want to take a tangent here because we could devote a whole podcast to this. And maybe we should when we we've been talking about talking to Bob Hamill and mm-hmm. maybe we should do it then. But Coach Knight is just one of the most complex complicated figures of our time on this earth you know in any walk of life in any celebrity walk of life there is just so much good and so much brilliance and so much innovative thought and there is so much bad and so much embarrassment and so many things you wish you could take away that you just I think we've touched on it before is it just that there's something about you have to have the bad with the good. Like you can't have what he did at that level on the good 
there's something that drives him to that that also the yin and the yang of it i don't know it's mm-hmm. a complicated yeah i i think look you you for every steve jobs i think you have like a, a bill gates right where you have one guy who's like they're both geniuses and incredibly influential and multi-billionaires well you know one yeah. was uh but that like you know one guy you know his legacy was being for kind of like crazy intense and maybe manipulative and and somewhat negative whereas you know bill gates is just getting clean water to hundreds of thousands of now, people now i mean go back 10 years and bill gates did not have that reputation you go back when gates was running windows he stole it from xerox like there there is a there's a lot of people that think what gates is doing now in his life is to redeem what he did early on mm. and mm. with jobs it's the same thing. You have jobs is, a, is actually a good uh, comparison tonight. The people that work at Apple will, I mean, Tim Cook, Eddie Q, I mean, people that, that have worked with him will rave about him and defend him to the ends of the earth the way that people that have the relationship with Coach Knight will. And then you have a world of other people who said he was a monster. Yes, he was a genius, but he was a monster. Anyway, I, I don't want to make it about Coach Knight. I just... When you hear things from like we heard from Todd Leary and then you hear from Mike Lewis and AJ and Calbert, it just it paints a complicated picture uh, of a guy that was so so much a part of our lives for our first 40 years. It yeah. continues to be because yeah. his, his specter, I shouldn't say specter, his aura kind of pervades over Indiana. But Michael, he's a head coach. Uh, I'm sorry, an assistant coach of a top program. That guy's schedule is busy every minute of every day yeah and he took two hours to talk to us and uh but think think about this he's now with mick cronin who did great things at cincinnati and is now at one of the greatest programs of all time chris holtman brad stevens bob knight like and, and i think michael has has a really good appreciation for having had exposure to all those guys but to me you know here as a you know actor filmmaker that's like well, what if I'd got to be like a, a, a production assistant under the Coen brothers, Quentin Tarantino and Wes Anderson? Right. It, it's just like he literally has been spending thousands of hours uh, next to greatness. And when he already had so much going on just as an athlete, just just as just the ability he had to score 31 points a game in high school. That's ridiculous. Then to transition to high-level Division One basketball and just say, okay, now I'm going to be the all-time assist leader at Indiana. Sort of his talents, his intelligence, his adaptability, and then, okay, now I'm going to go spend 20 years next to all these brilliant minds. I mean, that guy's cooking up to be a monster coach yeah. when he gets his shot. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and it's really interesting getting his perspective cuz you can hear him like vacillate between the fa- the the player who represented Indiana who is still that Hoosier when he says things, we got to get that Kentucky series back. I love right? to hear him say that. Yeah, it's like in those moments he's the fan and the player and then but I want to kick Indiana's ass when I walk in there with Butler, uh, you know, or preparing at Nebraska or whatever it may be. He's just a really fascinating guy to talk to and a peer of ours from an age perspective. So it's really cool to uh, to talk to him and just get his perspective as 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 a player, as a coach, as a fan, as a kid who grew up in Indiana. So follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics, no vowels, no vowels and hysterics. Email us at uh, Hoosier Hysterics at gmail.com. 
We will have an announcement very soon on the Hoosier Hysterics event in Bloomington that will take place in either November or December of this year, 2019. So uh, follow us on Twitter for updates there. Post on the message boards. We're always on the Pigs message boards. And tell a friend. I think I think this is really the way this is growing because it is growing and it definitely appears that it's, hey, you know, I just forwarded this episode to three friends who are all big IU fanatics, and I was just back home in Peru, and it really seems like it's a word-of-mouth thing. So if you like what you're listening to, uh, tell a friend. See you next time. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.